0: economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today.
1: I'm Paul McCray, producer and undergraduate scholar for the Gortney Institute with us, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Courtney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics, and Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Courtney Professor of Economic Education and Research. Finally, we have with us Kevin Ugarteche and Joao Pereira, producers and graduate assistants for the Courtney Institute.
0: All right. So unemployment uh, data came out here recently. It comes out every month. The Bureau of Labor Statistics is our government entity that uh, collects that information on who's unemployed, among other things. They also collect inflation data as well. And so once again, we're at 3.8%, which is the same as it was uh, back in August. So August and September, historic lows. Uh, When I was in graduate school and other things, I'd I'd say 90 plus percent of economists would probably agree that good unemployment rate, or let's just say a long-term stable, what we call the natural rate of unemployment would be something between four and six percent, I think would capture most economists. And so once again, we're at these historic lows. And so that brings up questions about whether there's a new normal or what's going on uh, with the economy that we persist. Is this uh, COVID hangovers or or other things, so I um, thought we'd have a little unemployment discussion. So, uh, I started off my class today uh, with the question of: Is everybody who's not working unemployed? And of course, as we think about that, Cole, what do you think? Is that is that true? Anybody who's not working is unemployed? So no. So I think, as you've been uh,
1: telling us in macro uh, economics class, um, it's just the people that are uh, want to work. But that can a that are unemployed.
0: Yeah, so retirees and other people. There's lots of people actually that uh, are not working but not unemployed. So to be unemployed, somebody has to be not working and actively seeking employment um, under the the normal measure of unemployment as we have it. So you know babies and kids and 16 years of age. So we can talk about age. We can talk about retirees. We can talk about. New college graduates, as soon as they cross the stage and they throw their hat up in the air at graduation, and then when they think to themselves, oh my gosh, now I got to find a job. I'm like a real, I'm in the real world now. They instantly just became unemployed as soon as they made that statement and they're uh, going to be uh, pulling up their phone and, and doing a job search. So the unemployment rate um, gets calculated from our government doing some survey data. So they'll call up households. And they'll say hello can i have five minutes of your time this is the government uh, and of course my answer would be no right away on a question like that but apparently a lot of fine folks out there um, are willing to, to share that and that's not true i probably would share that information but so you know the questioning would go are you currently working well yes okay boom that person is in the labor force because they are working now the type of work that they're doing doesn't matter if it's a part-time job or a full-time job They'll they'll ask some additional questions as well Uh, But if you are working, you are part of the employment rate. Um, If you're not working, then the questions uh, begin to uh, trickle in of, well, are you actively looking? Are you searching for a job? And if that answer is no, then they're not in the labor force. And so the unemployment rate is the number of people that are unemployed, uh, not working but actively seeking, divided by the labor force. And so the labor force is the pool of people who are actually working and the people who aren't working but want to be working. I feel like I'm getting kind of a word salad going here. I don't know. Peter, you want to jump in at all? Just kind of laying down the basics.
1: Yeah, to think about why things are this way. It's probably good to think about like ups and downs of this system. So the benefit of only including people searching for jobs uh, is that you exclude uh, from your statistics all those people who don't don't want a job at all. Right. Like when we're talking about uh, we're usually talking about something that we consider to be bad. We don't like there to be a lot of unemployment. But if someone just like doesn't want to work anymore and they have the to retire, you know, even though, well, let's say they're young and they have the money to retire if unemployment included people who weren't seeking work, that person who just decides to retire, they would go in the unemployment rate. Well, uh, that per- for that person, it's a good thing that they've decided to retire and they have the money to do so, but our stats would kind of absorb that as a bad thing. And so there's an upside to including people, not including people rather, who aren't searching for work. There's benefits to that. The flip side though, it can also cause problems is sometimes people give up searching for work because they think the economy is so bad, I'm never going to have a job, right? Uh, these are people who drop out of the labor force is one way we can kind of explain that. Yeah. And so one of the downsides of calculating unemployment this way, the the again, the good thing is that we don't capture all those people who have just decided they prefer not to work, you know, stay-at-home parents, all that stuff, whatever, uh, who, have you know, they've decided their first best option is not to go work. We don't capture those people. But then the problem is with the unemployment rate, uh, we also don't capture the people who have given up looking for work. And so there's sort of this trade-off uh in how accurate we want the number to be Uh, and there's no real perfect way to do it
0: so uh just Donna I mean we should mention the Nobel Prize winner Claudia Golden uh took the Nobel Prize this year and her work was in labor economics and unemployment a lot of stuff on gender as well and when you brought up the couples Uh, Part of her work was, and I don't know her work real well, but, uh, you know, which person goes back to work and I think she called it couple equity that there's social equity or something like that of, uh, you know, there's gains to be had of of, uh, for the family and but somebody's giving up some couple equity uh, was kind of a flip side of looking at it as who enters the workforce. Uh, that person's going to miss some you know, softball practices and being with the family and other events. And so it was interesting the way she framed that. And uh, ultimately, I think her conclusions come down that the the gender pay gap is actually pretty small when we think about uh, adjusting for um, different factors within the family of raising kids and who chooses to do that. And at that, um, you know, men and women are ultimately different, and have different preferences. And this of course, varies from couple to couple as well. So uh, so yeah, Nobel Prize winner was uh, somebody who's studied this uh, most of her whole life and, and uh, has done some interesting work in that regard.
1: Yeah, so one of the discussions that's going on right now, and one of the reasons it might be a good idea to talk about the unemployment rate, is there's a question about whether or not we're at a good spot with the unemployment rate. So uh, like Russ mentioned, we have pretty historically low unemployment, not the lowest that it's been in the last 20 years, but relatively low unemployment compared to you know US history right now, and definitely compared to COVID. And so there is a little bit of fear that uh, this is kind of signaling uh, a continued kind of inflation hike. And so mm-hmm. one of the reasons the Fed is concerned, uh, and part of this assumes something called the Phillips curve, which maybe we won't get into, but it's maybe a little too simple, but part of the fear is that if people are you know working everybody's got a job you know businesses are still like in high demand for workers it's really hard to find workers to fill positions uh that that's going to mean that spending's really high and if spending's really high there's going to continue to be high inflation because you know products fly off the shelves when spending is high and so this may be uh one of the things that's prevented the federal reserve from uh, becoming less cautious the fed is still kind of signaling that they are still worried about inflation even though inflation has come down like a, a pretty decent amount part of the reason probably for that signal is that our unemployment rate looks low at least relative to history yeah
0: and uh this plays into people's desires to work a little bit too and so um i i pulled up some interesting data on like the labor force participation rate so how many people are working as a fraction of the population so the labor force participation rate looks at how much of our Americans are are either working or want to work so the number employed and unemployed as a fraction of the overall um, civilian population um, which is around I think 260 million people so this is all people 16 years of age of older so the idea is to kind of look at our whole economy and say wow these are some people that could be working if they want to be working and how many of these people are choosing to work well right now we're at 62.8%. So let's just call it 63% of the labor force that population is choosing to want to work. So we are over half, whatever that means. It's kind of floated between that over time. Um, But in looking at a quick data, between 1985, this is a pretty long, this kind of surprised me, between 1985 and 2010, it was always above 64 percent getting as high as 67 percent and so during that long time frame we think about kind of the the big 80s time and through the 90s and um you know things were overall pretty good we had a couple little blips in terms of the overall economy but uh we had a nice long run and uh people were working and wanted to work and so now even pre, uh, prior to COVID, so at 2010 up till COVID time, we were floating around this 63% range, which is now what we're getting back to after COVID. And so it kind of made me think if there is kind of a new norm, or if if we will get back to those days of higher percentages, or are we are we so wealthy that we don't need to work? And then I can't help but think with the inflation that we've experienced, that we're still squeezing out are people being driven back to work they're they're entering the labor force um because they're starting to see that ends aren't meeting i know the credit card debt has spiked and went to, to some historic highs here recently and so I think there's a a lag time to where the stuff starts to catch up and people start to realize, oh, I'm not making ends meet like I used to. Maybe I need to work more hours or get a job. And In this case, it would be getting a job that would alter the labor force participation rate. And so I don't know if we'll get back to that time frame or not.
1: Yeah, I I think we probably do have a relatively permanent change here because of uh, whether it's COVID or um attitudes from younger generations it seems that people approach work differently one of the major things that has changed over the last uh i don't know decade or so is i think we're finally at a point where like culturally it's not such a big deal to live with your parents like that used to be like the, (laughs) you know failure to launch used to be the ultimate marker of oh like you know this is a big problem. If you've graduated college, you're in your mid 20s and you live with your parents and people don't really have a stigma against that anymore. I mean, Mm -hmm. to some extent, like there there still is like, if you're 45 and you live in your parents' basement or whatever, I think there's still some societal stigma (laughs) about it. But that number has seemed to move back and back and back and back. And so at least, you know, one of the conversations that's occurred is, based on unemployment, is that like young men uh, seems to be more and more uh, dropping out of the labor force completely. And if that's the case, uh, if we're dropping out of the labor force completely, then we do, we will have a permanent change to quote unquote the unemployment number because, as we mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, those people who drop out of the labor force do not count as unemployed. And so, insofar as it becomes socially acceptable to just be, you know, 25, 30 years old, living at your parents' house, if that's true. Then what I would expect is there's going to be less people applying for jobs constantly because they don't need to you know push off the social pressure, and so the unemployment rate's going to look lower because those people have dropped out of the labor force. Yeah,
0: yeah. I just did a quick uh, Google on ages 25 to 54. Uh, labor force participation is on the rise since COVID again, uh, up to 83 and a half percent in that age group, which is expected. Those are yeah. the prime known as the prime working age years. And back to my uh, long-term trend, it was in the 83, 84 range during that whole 1985 time frame. So we're actually back to that kind of level, okay. which is interesting, yeah. at least for that age group. Um, yeah, I was wondering too, On, uh, I'd like to get... Is that
1: men there? no
0: this was everybody okay
1: but that then that's actually pretty significant because women work a lot more than yeah. they used to and so if we're at the same spot but we have way more women working that means men are working a lot less right there's been a displacement to yeah, some degree. yeah maybe
0: uh over our break we'll do a little more combing through this looks like a good spot to break for now that'll be our cliffhanger we'll come back we, we won't be too boring with it but I think it, it does show some of these trends and you know this is what economists do we kind of say oh there's too many people playing video games in their basement, you know, of, of teenagers or whatever. And then we can actually look to the data and see if see if there's something there or not. And then a couple other areas to explore as well, with different types of unemployment. So we'll be back in just a bit. Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students pursuing. Ideas of Freedom and Justice and Human Flourishing, Faith and Economics in Action. We have a great high school event coming up here in the middle of November, November 17th. And we have high school students that are coming from all over. So wherever you're listening to this podcast, if you want to send your student to have a fun-filled afternoon and a special speaker dinner event, we've got that going on at our PPE Fest, Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. All right, so we're back, and uh, we did do a little digging uh, over the break here on some various things with men and women, young people, older people, trying to break apart uh, what's going on with some of the labor force participation. And we've got these just low rates again across the whole country. Uh, Kansas is 2.7%, and uh, we were actually down slightly. So, Peter, what did you find on some of your stuff with the younger folks?
1: Yeah, so uh, what we kind of said before the break basically came to fruition, except uh, women uh, as a percentage of the labor force, at least since the 90s. So the the years we're looking at from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, actually even later than the 90s, 2002 is the earliest year that they've got listed here. And women in the labor force in terms of percentage have decreased about three and a half percent in the age 20 to 24 ages so they were were at in 2002 72.1% now that they're around 68.7%. So that's about a three and a half close-ish to that percent difference uh, drop from 2002 to today. Men, the drop is a lot more steep. Uh, Men went from 80.7% of uh, men in that age range 20 to 24 being involved in the labor force down to now uh, 73.2%. So that's about a 7% drop. And there's uh, an expectation, the projection that the BLS has here is that by 2032, that'll be 68.2%. Uh, so then we'll be over a 10% drop.
0: So yeah, so there's um, less people working in this, you know, age 20 to 24 is kind of interesting. Graduate high school at around 18. So that means you've either decided to go to trade school or not, or you're um, just working with a with a high school degree. So you've had time to enter the labor force i guess is my point and so we're not seeing ourselves get back into the labor force the same way so uh, again cultural norms of uh, oh my kids in the basement Um, when i was 18 way back in i guess 1989 1990 there was certainly expectation of you're 18 get out of the house you know if you're not going to college or something so you gotta you know kind of fend for yourself and uh, I think that that is changing. And I, I don't know if it's parents that are weaker, or is it uh, that we want to help our kids as much as we did before, and helping is giving them free housing and food? Or is it, uh, you know, tough love just doesn't, doesn't exist? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think part of it probably is changing in response to some of the underlying changes and so again like just to rat off a few more of the numbers. um, In terms of women uh, ages basically 25 up until looks like around 44 uh, over the last 20 years labor force participation has increased. And to some extent, like maybe jobs are complements and not substitutes. Maybe like women entering the labor force creates more jobs because incomes go up and you know more complementary, uh, you know, team uh, deals. But uh, to some extent, their labor is a substitute for other labor. And so, you know, this might just be the lower so- social pressure might just be a, a reflection of the fact that uh, the environment's more competitive now, and so uh, we can't have these really high, you know, social standards for uh everybody ages 18 to 24 if we've you know we haven't doubled in the last 20 years but doubled over the last 70 years uh the amount of people competing for these jobs uh certainly more jobs have been created but uh, not at the rate which people have joined the labor force probably well and certainly the nature of the
0: jobs have changed with flexible uh, work schedules and remote work and uh, other things i mean it was very much a even in my time 1990s more of a still a nine to five world of 40-hour work weeks. And um, that, is, that has certainly changed. And probably uh, some of the reason we see this low unemployment rate is that you're still working if you're you know, uh, doing a little um, driving for Uber or other things, um, you're still considered working. And if it's not maybe your ideal thing, uh, the fact that you can pick up these gig gig jobs is is probably good in terms of flexibility um in fact so one of the key things here is not all unemployment is bad to begin with so we kind of have this negative thing of oh I'm unemployed I can't find a job so it's negative but for the economy um we want to have some unemployment it would be a sign of a of a something going maybe bad with the economy if we had some elements that weren't there so one of these types of unemployment the two types frictional and structural unemployment are actually signs of a healthy economy where we're always going to have a certain amount of labor turnover if you quit your job uh, because you feel pretty comfortable I'm I'm going to find something you know in the next month so you don't have a new job lined up I you know that's kind of a sign of healthiness that you you feel confident you can quit your job be unemployed for a period of time you and maybe you have enough savings left over or whatever or uh maybe it is your parents house that you know you can fall back on uh, uh for some of your living expenses, you know whatever the case is, uh, that's a, a healthy sign that we have some labor market turnover of that fashion and then all, that also falls into the new college graduates um, having new college graduates enter the market is not a bad thing where we have skilled labor and but until they find a job, they're unemployed. So those are healthy for a dynamic growing economy. we'd expect to have that. Structural unemployment is with uh, your skills. There's a mismatch between what you have to bring to the labor market and what is uh, in demand. So horse and buggy uh, repair people are having a tough time finding a job right now. DVD repair, VCR repair. Um, Again, these are uh, it's not fun for the person who's unemployed because their skills are no longer needed. Uh, but from the economy standpoint, we have new emerging industries of, uh, in, let's say, the high tech space or something, and other declining areas. And so, overall for the economy, these are these are good, even if for the individual it might be bad. So,
1: yeah, the easy way to think about it, listeners, that we uh, we can imagine jobs that would be bad for the economy, right? Like if a company came out and just paid a bunch of people to like dig a big hole in the ground and then fill it back in, and that was their whole job. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that would be a waste of uh, people's hours, it would be a waste of shovels, it would be a waste of equipment. Uh, that would destroy wealth, which by the way, uh, the company who did that would make a loss and so they would stop operating. Uh, so that's one of the nice things about our profit and loss system is that did wealth destroying industries go under and they disappear. Uh, and the same thing happens with wealth destroying jobs. Uh, any job that takes away from the productivity of the economy ultimately can't be a profitable job and those sort of get weaned out over time. And so. Employment itself is a means to having a better life. You know, a healthier society. It's not an ends in itself, or at least it uh, you know is not only an ends uh, in itself. And,
0: and, and let's contrast that with government employment, um, where they're being paid for with the tax dollars. We still don't have that profit and loss mechanism in place, just because of the nature of whatever they're providing, and so the government tends to be slow in responding to let's just say wasteful spending. And so that's an expected outcome without the loss there, because they can basically pay their bills through forced taxation, That we don't have the same mechanism in place. And so it naturally does take long, like sometimes real, real long for <laughs> government waste to kind of be brought a spot where we can say, oh, this needs to change, you know, um, because... The people who are working for the government, um, they like their job. They don't have much incentive to change their ways and respond to new technology or innovation. Um, So uh, how many of you listeners have gone to your local county offices and they're still using a paper and pen with a filing system and a big filing cabinet to keep all their records? I mean, to me, that's the one thing that you see right off the bat when you go to some of our uh, government employment places. And so there's still a large number of employees that are, uh doing things that otherwise a computer replaced 10 15 20 years ago yeah
1: I think overall I see uh beneficial uh numbers in the economy I'm I'm generally an optimist though I will say kind of on a one more topic related to employment uh that one thing that's maybe maybe makes me a little more pessimistic though I think there's reasonable explanations too is when you look at the numbers and you're looking for groups that grow in terms of their labor force participation over the last 20 years Like I mentioned, some young women groups uh, like ages 20, 24, that that has grown a little bit, the small percentage amount. But other groups, uh, for example, the largest growing group is uh, both women, 55 to 74, and men, 55 to 74. Those two groups of people have the largest growth in labor force participation. And so there's two drivers there. One maybe is a life expectancy thing. Maybe we just have more old people than we used to, and the baby boomer generation aging could increase that. But uh, there shouldn't that shouldn't have too much of an impact because it's a participation rate. It's a percentage, right? And so yeah. just having a larger amount shouldn't really have the impact, unless that larger amount is driving something like cost of living expenses, for example, for... Uh, you know, goods that people commonly consume when they're age fifty five to seventy four. Like, if there's a bunch of people buying canes, not saying everybody turns <laughs> fifty five buys a cane, but uh, there's age a bunch fifty five is the new
0: thirty five. That's right.
1: If there, but if there's a bunch of people buying things that like normally only people in that age range buy, then maybe the prices have gone up for those. My so the downside is I don't like to think of the fact that we're in a world where now older, more old people feel like they have to work. Yeah. On the flip side, some of this could could be social and cultural, right? That we have less social clubs than we used to. Maybe the only way to stay engaged yeah. when you're, you know, in your 60s now is to keep having a job, right? Because, yeah. uh, you know, kids move away now, they move further away than they used to in the 2000s or the 90s, so you don't spend time with the grandparents. You know, there's not a whole lot of like Lions Clubs or Eagles Dens or whatever those all those things are called. So maybe this is the way that people stay socially engaged. The last sort of positive and, you know, maybe that's not even a positive thing, but at least second, like it's maybe not good that we're losing social groups but it's at least good that someone can go to work if they need the social group rather than not having any at all yeah. the last good explanation would be and i think this is actually a pretty significant one is uh, our quality of life improvements are such that you know they're they make people's lives a lot better but they're more expensive right people often say like oh you know we're poorer than we were you know X number of years ago, decades ago, six decades ago, or whatever, it's like, no, you're just as rich. It's just you choose to live a lot more of a wealthy lifestyle. Like, you know, central air conditioning is not something that people had 50, 60 years ago very commonly, right? Yeah. And so if you're living in a nice house, well heated, good materials, uh, well, you know, well cooled, refrigerator, uh, yeah, water. You, yeah, you've got your refrigerator, you've got your water, uh, you know, you've got your TV, your smartphone that you're paying $100 a month for. Uh, and play subscription to Netflix so all the shows that you could possibly dream of so it might just be like the it's there's more luxury than there used to be but it's more expensive than it used to be on in total because there's so many more ways to have luxury and maybe when people are turning 60 they don't want to give up that luxury and they keep working instead so those are the the positive explanations the negative explanation would be because social security as a system is not kept up with cost of living or because pensions have gone away or something like that that these people have to work to make ends meet that's the potential negative explanation yeah but living on
0: less I think um is something people learned a little bit from COVID too and yeah. so yeah all the combination of things where people are healthier uh you know maybe some of our preventative medicine stuff is starting to kick in too from the 2010s and so now again the uh, not only life expectancy but the the quality of life during that time is higher due to good preventative medicine, early treatment of cancers, finding this or that. There's been improvements overall in in all of that. So the last thing maybe just to wrap up here is uh, there there are different unemployment rates that are measured. And so one of the things they evolved here, I think 10 plus years ago, is there's like six different ways to measure unemployment. And so uh, I gave you the primary one at the start, but they also started asking questions like to what they call discouraged workers. So I suppose over time they'd hear, well, I just don't even want to work anymore because I I want to work, but I can't find anything and I'm just sick of looking. So once you're not looking, um, they somehow will put you into this discouraged worker category. And so then if you look at the U5 and U6 unemployment rates, they're including these people in those. And so if you, if you pull up a graph that unemployment rate is going to be higher than what the traditional rate is as we add more and more disgruntled workers and um, marginally attached workers so i i think one of the measures if you're you're working because you need to make ends meet but it's not your real job that you want to do long term and so they're they can call you as a different label. Um, and so that unemployment rate is higher than the real unemployment rate because you are working, you're working at McDonald's, but you're normally a, a marketing executive or something. Technically you are employed, uh, but we're going to label you a little bit differently. And so some of these innovations, uh, I don't know, what do you think of some of these innovations I'm kind of trying to get a better grasp,
1: Peter? Yeah, I think they're basically not very good. I mean, uh, <laughs> especially like any time in economics that you have to go off like surveys, uh, you're in like problematic territory because the nice thing about economics is, uh, when you're looking at data, it's people have put their money where their mouth is. And so if a bunch of people buy a product that shows that they value the product more than the money it costs them. Yeah. When you ask someone, uh, how much <clears> they value a product, they might have an incentive to tell you a different number than is what is true. And they might not even realize that I'm not saying people are lying, but uh you know if, if you talk to someone like oh you know how much do you like walmart on a scale from one to ten a lot of people are going to say oh one walmart's the worst you know i i can't stand walmart it's dirty and you know uh, uh, there's not a lot of people working there and but these same people will you know go to walmart is like their number one store to visit and so uh the incentive to talk on a survey and give information on a survey is not the same as like the incentive to you know, act in a way that's truthful. And, you know, this is something Justin points out. I kind of wish he was here to mention this, but uh, people don't always know what they think about things, right? Like people, mm-hmm. it's difficult actually to formulate uh, what you believe about something and, and, you know, communicate that very well. And so I, I think these things are trying to do, these sorts of numbers are trying to do what like qualitative research or like, you know, kind of a, almost like a common sense feel used to do. And so I actually like the fact that people recognize that the standard measures have issues. And so the big issue is like, yeah, we can all have a job, but if everybody's working at McDonald's, nobody's going to be very happy. Uh, That's true. But the question is, can we assess that more accurately by like calling someone on the phone and asking if they're happy with their job? It's like, no, no one's happy with their job. No one likes to work. Uh, Everybody wishes they were making three times what they are and working half as many hours. Right. And so that's the problem with those measures is they're, they're not like in any sense, objective, like the real uh, unemployment rate, there's—they're there's, uh, all very subjective. But the problem is, I don't mind subjective, but I'm—I do mind subjective masquerading as objective, right? Uh, I don't—I don't mind, you yeah. know, people saying uh, that. Oh, it's true. Some people sometimes we could have an economy where people don't really like the jobs that they're in. That's 100% true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't like us assigning some number to it as if that's the real number, when uh, really the survey would not get us what that real number is.
0: Yeah. Well, then for whatever this bad number is, I'll I'll tell you what it is right now. So if we look at the U5 unemployment rate, which adds discouraged workers and other marginally attached people to the labor force, and I think this is where, yeah, I'm not in the job that I want to be, that rate uh, is currently 4.6%. So if we're at 3.8% overall, we're less than a percent of those type of people Contributing or being out there, um, so relatively speaking, that's pretty small. So yeah. I think it shows the strength of the labor market that yes. if you really you, you have the opportunity to get into the job you want to be in long term in today's labor market, mm-hmm. and so that's a that's a good sign. So I think we'll see if this uh, continues on. I, I, I suspect it will, um, and we'll see what these new norms bring us. All right. Well, this has been a production of the Gorton Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Uh, Five-star rating helps other people find us. Other than that, just pass it along to your friends and family via whatever device or social media you have. So please be fruitful, multiply. Thanks.